Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Hi, I'm Allison. I'm an alcoholic. Hello. My sobriety date is February 21st, 2011. My home group is Lake City Young People on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m., and anyone should come by. It's not just for young people. Uh, we also say young at heart, room to grow. Uh, anyone's welcome. I have a couple service positions there. They also have a service position in my district. I am the zone rep to the Seattle Inner Group, uh, which speaking of, if anyone thinks they might want to do some service at Inner Group at the end of this year, the board positions are going to be rotating out. So if you think you might want to come down and check out our board meetings, you can talk to me later and I can get you more info. Um, so what it was like, um, the first time that I drank, or actually a lot of the times that I drank uh, in the beginning, it was fun. But pretty much from the first time I drank, I drank alcoholically. Um, I, I was sitting there thinking, uh, there was a few times that I didn't get drunk when I drank, but I'm pretty sure that was just because there was not enough alcohol or else I was with my parents or something like that. I mean, like my, the whole point of drinking to me still is to get drunk. I don't understand people who want to drink just, um, just one beer. And I didn't realize that that was weird, mostly because I chose, you know, I found the people to hang out with that wanted to do things the same way that I did. And, um, you know, in college, I hung out with the guys that we, you know, drank every weekend and sat in a room and smoked pot all day and just every day. And, and that seemed really normal to me. And at the beginning, um, it didn't, it didn't cause any major problems. It made me like, I did some really dumb stuff. I, you know, like I hooked up with people that I didn't want to actually hook up with. And, um, I, I definitely didn't treat people very nicely, but you know, in general, like I still did well in school. I had, um, my car, I had a place to live. Um, so I, I think I, I just didn't realize that anything was wrong at first. Um, and then I turned 21 and I think that was, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the end for me because it was just easy to buy alcohol every day. And I remember like probably, you know, probably like the week, the first week that I turned 21, I like came home with two forties and I'm like drinking them on a, you know, Tuesday afternoon. And I didn't think that was weird. And my, you know, my roommates though were like, you're drinking right now. I was like, yeah, I just turned 21. I'm just working on some homework, drinking two forties. Um, and you know, that's kind of how I went, you know, like, and, and it, it just, you know, my, the way I felt went downhill really, really quickly after that. And it, it had started before that as well. But um, before I knew it, I was like blacking out all the time. And um, I just I felt miserable. And I, I didn't really get that that um, had anything to do with drinking or anything. I just thought that all of everyone basically treated me really badly. And I was this huge victim. And um, my kind of goal whether or not I knew it was to make other people feel as bad as I did. So, you know, I'd black out and like say the most horrible things I can think of that I, I don't even know what I said now, but like to my boyfriend at the time and he wouldn't even tell me what I had said to him. And I'm sure it was just because I just wanted to make him feel as bad as I did. Um, and you know, before long, my behavior got crazier and crazier. Um, like I had one of the weirdest things that I did, I think was I had, 
bought, I, I constantly had a bottle of um, vodka and a bottle of Jack Daniels. And they were like, rather than just having them out in my apartment, which I was allowed to have, right? I was 21. I didn't live with my parents. I was allowed to have them out. But rather than have them out, I like poured them into Nalgene bottles and hid them under my bed. Um, and still, like, I think I, I kind of started to get the idea that maybe this is weird, but I kind of honestly thought that everyone else was weirder. Like, that the people that I knew, like, didn't want to drink like that. I thought something was wrong with them. And, and I remember having, I had one roommate who came home one day. I was like, I'm drunk. I had four beers. I'm like, what's wrong with you? You had four beers and you're drunk. Like, that, it just seemed like something was wrong. Or the people that just want to have one drink. Um, Cause I just, I just didn't get that, you know? And I think what, like how I finally, despite all that behavior, I knew it was weird, but uh, how I came to, you know, know that I was an alcoholic was the way that I felt inside. Um, Cause I was just completely an empty shell and I went to bed every night and I hoped I wouldn't wake up in the morning or prayed or whatever. And then I'd wake up every morning and curse God for not killing me in the middle of the night. Um, and I was, you know, I was just absolutely miserable. All I, you know, I just wanted to die every time I got in my car. I'd hope I'd get in a car crash and um, never happened. And so I kind of thought God hated me because, um, of course, I was still a victim, right? Like, it's somebody's fault. It's got to be God's fault. And I was just miserable, though, you know, and um, I, I kind of got the picture that probably maybe it had something to do with alcohol. So I went to an AA meeting and I, I went to Fremont and I saw the steps on the wall and I was like, I mean, I was like, okay, admit it, I'm an alcoholic. Okay. And then God, 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 no, tell someone else all my stuff. Well, I'm just this victim. So don't really need to do that. And then there's God, God, and then apologize. I'm a victim. I don't need to do that. God, God, God. And so I basically wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to do any of it. Um, and at that first meeting, I heard like a lot of those cliches. And the one that always sticks out to me is you can't get drunk if you don't drink. And I thought, brilliant idea. I'm just not going to drink. Like how, how did I never think of this before? And it turns out I did think of it actually like every day. Um, I would wake up and say, I'm not going to drink today. And then 10 minutes later, I'd be drinking like every day. Um, and, and it was cause I was just obsessed, you know, like all I could think about all day, every day was like, I'd, I'd wake up, start drinking and then go to class. And all I could think about was, um, drinking and how much money do I have and what can I afford? And, um, you know, every day it was like that. And I, and I try to like, I didn't realize this until I had a couple of years sober, but I'd be like, well, I'm only going to drink a bottle of wine today. And then I'd finish the bottle of wine and then like, well, I better go buy another one or go to the liquor store. Or, um, so it just, it got out of hand. Like it got really out of hand and I was miserable and I wanted to die. And, um, how I f actually got sober and got into the program was I was drunk and I was outside my apartment and I met a woman and I, you know, I don't really remember what I said to her, but I think I was probably trying to get her to drink with me. And she told me she'd been sober for nine months and she went to the program and seeing that got me, you know, cause I thought, I thought I was never going to get sober. I thought I was never going to die. I thought I was just going to live this miserable life forever. Cause God hates me and seeing her and she was sober for like a really long time. Like nine months is a really long time. 
Um, I just got a little bit of hope, you know, that, that maybe this thing does work. And I don't actually remember thinking that. All I know is that she texted me later, like an hour later, and was like, do you want me to be your sponsor? And I said yes. And um, I don't know why. I don't even think I knew what that – I had. I mean, I'm sure I had no idea what that even meant. And she started telling me, okay, come over to my house, pick me up, take me to this meeting. Um, and I just was doing all the stuff, you know. Like I just did whatever she told me because she was sober for nine months and – uh, she didn't seem like she wanted to die. I guess I never really asked her, but, um, you know, she she seemed to have friends. Oh, my God. She could talk to people when we went to meetings. Uh, it's kind of funny because sometimes I think, like, when I when I was new, I'm like, man, people weren't that welcoming to me. But guaranteed it's because I was standing in the corner like this. And people probably tried to talk to me and like, oh, hi, how, who are you? I mean, I'm Allison. Like, that's it, you know. So I'm sure people were welcoming, but I just had no idea how to interact with people, talk to people, do any of that stuff. Um, I had no idea how to do like anything really, um, except for I could do school. I was, I was pretty good at school, but that's about the only thing that I knew how to do. And I definitely didn't know how to stay sober. So I just started doing all the stuff that she told me and um, like I said, a lot of the time I had no idea why, like she told me she'd I'd, like go over to her house and she's telling me underline this, write this and no idea what was going on the first time that I read the big book, but it, it really didn't matter because I also like, I don't know if I realized it at the time, but like, I wasn't obsessed with drinking. I wasn't thinking about drinking all day, every day. Um, and you know, I started having 30 days and 60 days and 90 days and, um, <clears throat> A big thing in my sobriety was actually Lake City Young People because I went to that meeting my first week that I was sober and um, a month later I was going to someone's birthday party like they had invited me and I went I don't really know why I did that either but I went and I like I just I don't know I felt like I like people wanted to be around me I guess or like I just started feeling like like I could be around people and um, you know that felt really good and and I, I just you know stuck with it and by now, like, I feel like my story's kind of the same now as it was when I first got sober. Have a different sponsor now. Um, I've had my sponsor for like four years or something, and I love her so much in like a way I didn't even know about love, like that I have with my sponsor before um, AA. And um, a lot of the time when she told me to do stuff, I didn't know why I was doing it, um, even, you know, having a couple of years sober. And I'd be pissed a lot of the time at what she's making me do. She's like, just write about it. And I'm like, so mad, especially because remember I said I'm good at school. <laughs> and there was some, like a lot of this, the writing stuff, there's not like a wrong and a right answer really, but I really want there to be a right answer because <laughs> I want to like get an A plus on my step work. And that's just not the way that it works. Um, so I've gotten, I've gotten over that a bit now, but there was still, there have been a few times when I've been really angry at my sponsor, but every time I just keep, keep doing what she tells me to do. And like, by now, actually, I think I get kind of excited about it. Like, um, the past, the past little bit of time has not been the, I, I haven't been the best that I can be lately. And I called my sponsor and left her a message. And I basically, like, I basically just told her I've dug myself this hole and I don't know how to get out of it. Um, cause that's how I feel, you know? And she's like, well, let's do a four step. And I'm like, okay. And now I'm excited to do it because I know that it works. Right. Cause I've done it like a couple times before with this sponsor and just in general. And, and I know that it works to, to do that stuff. And I know that I grow from it every time, no matter how uncomfortable it makes me or how angry I am. Um, I know that all of this stuff works. And, um, I know like as much as amends, 
are really, really scary. Those were the ones, like, when I was new. I'm on, like, step one, two, or whatever, and I'm, like, scared to get to nine already. Um, and people told me, you're not at nine yet. Don't worry about it. Uh, which turns out they were right. But they, they're scary, you know, and I'm probably going to have to do some more now. And that's scary, but I think, like, by now I can handle it. Um, it, because I know, I just know that it works and I know the results that I've gotten from it. And like today, I don't, I, um, I don't think God hates me anymore. And in fact, like today I'm able to see the things that God does in my life. Um, like miraculous things, right? Like I, uh, was applying for jobs. Now it's been like a year and a half ago. And I, and I thought I wanted this one job and I didn't get it. And I wasn't devastated or anything, but like still I didn't get it. And I got a different job though. And like the first job from what I've heard kind of actually sucks. And this job that I actually got is like fantastic. And I love my coworkers and I love it so much. Um, and you know, that's, I know that's God, um, you know, setting me on the right path. And it's not to say, I don't know, God still lets me make my own decisions. Um, so, which is like when I screw up. Usually, like, God lets me do that, um, but I get to learn from it, and I guess, you know, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to get to learn from it. I think um, that's that's the way that I really know how to act, you know, the next time that I'm in a similar situation, and, you know, just on top of everything else. So, like I said, I'm not obsessed with alcohol anymore, which is already a miracle. Like, that would... Almost, that that's kind of enough, like honestly. Um, but also, I mean, I, I'm also crazy, right? So AA helps me to not be so crazy. So I get that on top of everything, and I get to do things like help other people, which is something like that was literally like nothing I ever even thought of before. And and now it's something that I like to do. Like um, I maybe wasn't the most excited to come here today because I ran a half marathon this morning and I'm, my legs are kind of sore and I had to walk downstairs and stuff. But still, I was like, you know, that's cool. Like, it's cool that, you know, someone wants to to hear me come speak and like I, I and I get to do something like that. And um, I get to meet people at meetings and give them right home um, and stuff like that. And it's fun. It really is fun. And like, that's that's not something that I ever would have guessed. Um, but it's really yeah, it's fun. And I, I enjoy doing it. Plus I just get to, you know, I, I, today, like, I feel like all my doors are wide open. Like I really feel today, like I can do whatever I want to do. Um, that's nothing, that's not anything that I ever thought of before. And plus I just get to like be an adult, which is really scary. So, uh, last weekend I got in a car accident and my car got totaled. So now I have to buy a new car and I'm like terrified about it. But like, I know, I just know that I can do it and I know that God is going to like help me out. And, um, and that's pretty awesome. Right. And it's kind of funny because yesterday I was going to test drive, not even buy anything, just test drive. And I was terrified to just go look at cars. Right. But like, I still went and I did it and, um, you know, I was fine. I survived. And, you know, that's it. I know like, it's like such maybe it, maybe it sounds like such a silly thing, but that is something that I could not do before. Like I never could have done that before. Um, I would have been drunk, so I can't test drive anyway, but, (laughs) but I also just would have been so scared that I would have to drink. And I just, you know, I would have just never done it. Um, you know, I'd, you know, I'd put procrastinate stuff forever because I'd just be too scared to do it. And today I can, you know, I still procrastinate a little bit, but, um, in general I can, I can do stuff even when it's really scary. And, you know, um, it's just, it's all thanks to the, to the steps and the program and God and, um, all this stuff. And, um, I know, 
So I do, I do all the stuff that I said at the beginning and I'm not sure like what is the magic formula for like this life that I get today. Um, but I do know, like, I'm not really willing to, to try leaving out any of them. Cause I, I love the life that I have today. And I, I think about that, like at least every day, just how beautiful my life is today. And, um, I'm really grateful to be here and, you know, I'm grateful that I get to have this life. So stop that. Cause it's, Got to beat, but thank you. Hello, my name's Sierra, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, my sobriety date is January 5th, 2014. Uh, my home group is B-Town Big Book, which is in Berrien. It's a new meeting. And I don't know why I'm nervous, because I get to talk about myself for 15 minutes, and you guys have to listen. Um... What? Okay. So, um, how I got to AA was, um, clearly by mistake. I never really wanted to be sober. Um, I had come to terms with my life being as miserable as it was. And, um, that hopeless, um, hopelessness was like very comfy and kind of cozy for me. Um, I had been living it for so long. Um, and my sobriety date happens to fall on my dad's birthday, which is weird. And that's just kind of how, like, my higher power works. Um, things kind of connect, and I don't realize them till later. Um, but um, how I got here. So in the beginning, um, I grew up in an alcoholic home. My parents are both alcoholics, um, functioning, but... Um, barely. And um, we're like a Catholic Irish family. So we like to drink and fight and pray and fight. And that's just like how I grew up. So um, I went to Catholic school for nine years. We lived in a really nice house and things looked really good from the outside. Um, but on the inside, you know, we were broken. And um I set myself apart from everybody else at school. Um, I went to school with kids that um, parents were like lawyers and doctors and politicians. And my dad was a garbage man. And my mom was a salesperson, sales lady. And she'd come home with, you know, contracts written on tavern napkins and always really big plans for the future. Um and they would fight all the time. And so uh, all the kids, like, they had better lives than me. And I um, and I just remember, like, kids talking, like, why don't you guys go to church on Sundays? Because everyone's parents brought their kids to church on Sunday. And um, my parents were too hungover, so we never went to church. And then Dad had to watch us football games. And so... Um, for me, like, that was embarrassing. Um, it also was embarrassing that uh, I would, like, meet with a priest and I'd, you know, do my um, confessions. And it seemed like I was, um, like, praying on my rosary. I was doing, like, the, so many Hail Marys and all for others. And everyone else got to go to recess. And I'm sitting there, like, still praying. And I'm like, okay, I must be really messed up. Um so that was me growing up and, um, like fast forward to going into ninth grade, I got to um, go to a public high school and I lost it. Um, 
I made cheerleading squad, um, varsity cheer as a freshman. I was really excited. Um, I was enrolled in honors classes. And I started going to keggers every single night and during the summer and um, smoking weed. And I remember um, beer bonging a fifth of Malibu rum and just like really crazy. So I got kicked off cheer before school even started. Uh, so that was really fun. Um, no, they didn't kick me off like immediately. They like suspended me. And they were like, you really need to get it together. Um, we don't want to see you at Kager's anymore. And I'm like, all right. And they're like, well, you get to wear your cheer uniform and sit in the like jamboree on the floor, on the, you know, gym floor. And I'm like, okay. So I'm sitting there and it's a prep rally and I'm watching, you know, my, my cheer squad like do their thing. And I'm just like sitting there in my cheer outfit and I'm looking at the upperclassmen they already know who I am and I hated high school from the very beginning it was just like I hated it um then I got kicked off because I could never get it together um and school sucked um I skipped class all the time. When I did show up, I got caught with a fifth in my backpack. I was like the stoner on the um, on the trails, and um, I got in a fight, and um, I got kicked out of school. And during that time, it all seems to be like it happened so fast. But my parents um, were getting a divorce, and. Uh, we moved in across town and we went from like this really big house to this like really small apartment and my mom was having random guys over and um, and I just like really hated my life. I started a new school and the kids already knew who I was so they were like they didn't, no one really wanted to mess with me. Um, I had a boyfriend and and he like I feel like saved my life. Um, not like later down the road. Um, we dated for about five years and he was an alcoholic. And of course, you know, I would date an alcoholic. Um, but it was my, my first like glimpse of what alcoholism was in a young person. Um, I thought it was just like for old people or like my parents or something. And, um, Michael was like a real life alcoholic, um, drunk driving accidents, just, uh, like horrible things went on the inside. He was such a nice person. And right after high school, um, I started my new job. And on my first day, like, um, I found out Michael passed away and I just pretty much lost it at that point. Um, I jumped from like one relationship to the other and it was always an alcoholic or, um, a drug dealer. It was like, I, I was always blaming my problems um, being the man that I was in a relationship with. And during that time, you know, I was just as much to blame for my own problems and my own misery. Um, alcohol has always been my problem. And um, I like to pop pills and I pretty much anything that's handed to me, I will take it because I, for some reason cannot stand myself when 
when I'm like living, living like that, like God was never in my life. And that's weird because I went to Catholic school for so long. Um, but he was never there. It was just like, Oh, that's nice. Um, but I'm dying. And so how I, how I got here was, um, gosh, I continued to use drugs and alcohol for a really, really long time. And, um, I lost my job. I was homeless. I was living at my grandma's house. Um, and I had no friends. Nobody liked me. I didn't like anybody else. Um, and, uh, I remember just like praying on the bathroom floor and, um, just like, I'm going to die, God. I just want to be normal. I don't know what that means. But if somebody, if you're there, like, please help me. And, um, of course, I continued to use after that. And I'm like, whatever. Like, I feel better now. Like, I have alcohol in me. I didn't really mean it. But I don't know if it was like a day later or a week later. But um, I had been up for like seven days. And, um I woke up to my grandma and, and it's just funny because like my grandma was like the one person that I loved more than myself and more than drugs and more than alcohol. I just wasn't really willing to like stop for her. Um, but God put her in my life at that time. I was just completely broken down and I just remember being like Sierra and it was like the way that she said it. And I just like looked at her. And she's like, you are a drugger. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a drugger. And I don't even know what that means or if that's a word, but it was just like the way that she said it. I was like, okay, like, well, my grandma hates me. So now I'm really like nothing. And so, um, she's like, you need to go to treatment. And so, um, I called the, this, the first place, Lakeside Mile. And I don't know why. Oh, because it was co-ed. And <laughs> I didn't want to be, like, separated from the men, right? So, um, oh, and you could smoke cigarettes. So I'm like, I call them, and they, they get my information. And they're like, we're going to call you right back. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, it was just, like, not part of the plan. And most of it was just, like, I'm going to do this so my family gets off my ass and so that I can go back to doing drugs and alcohol because that's what I love to do. Um, she calls me back and she's like, well, I'm really glad that you called today because I had just gotten fired. Your insurance is going to be up, and if and if you don't get here by 9 o'clock tonight, um, it's not going to be covered, so you got to get here. And I'm like shouldn't have said that prayer. Like I, I'm like, but I'm not ready. Like I have five hours to get there and, um, I got to get some drugs and alcohol in me. Um, so anyways, I did. And I got there two minutes before, which was like, I was like kind of excited, but kind of like not, um, halfway like into treatment. Um, something changed in me and I'm not sure like what it was or how, how it like really happened, but I'm sitting in this meeting and they had, um, people come and it was like a panel or something. And, um, this girl comes up there and she's, 
cute and her hair is like perfect and her purse is like designer and her nails are done and I'm sitting there with electric blanket and I'm cold and and I sold everything I had nothing nothing and I'm looking at her and she's like about my age and I'm like okay like maybe if I just do the steps maybe I can like get that purse and I can get my nails done and um that's what I need. So thank God I was like so toxic and, and, you know, self-centered, um, because of that girl's nice purse. Like I decided to give the program a half-ass shot. I, and, um, I'm like, okay, what do I got to do? And my counselor's like, you need to move into an Oxford and you need to get a sponsor and you need to do the steps and you need to do everything that your sponsor tells you. And I'm like, all right. So I moved into an Oxford house. I got a sponsor. I did all that shit. And, um, and it was like a really, it was difficult. You know, I'm not going to lie. Like I had to live with eight women that were super crazy. And, um, I had to like pray again and, um, I had to like do all this stuff and it it def- definitely did not come easy, especially for someone like me that's been using drugs and alcohol since I was 12. Um, I just did what it, what was what it was told of me. I mean, I just like really, I went through it, and um, and now it's just like burned into my brain. Like I feel like crap one day, and I'm like, that's it. Today's gonna be the day I go back out, you know. And before I know it, I'm like. I'm like a robot. I'm like, I'll just go to this meeting. And then I'm like sitting in a women's meeting, which is weird, right? I'm like sitting in a women's meeting. I'm like sharing. And I'm like, I don't know how I got here, you know? Like who I was then is completely who I am now. Um, And thank God for this room um, of Alcoholics Anonymous and the fellowship and the people that I've got to meet. And I got to change, like, who my higher power is and what he looks like. And it's not like that punishing God anymore that singled me out and made me stay, you know, through recess and pray. Um, Like, my God today is, like, forgiving. Um, And I don't have to, like, be a liar anymore. Um, I... I'm just like, I don't know why I'm so nervous. Um, but thank you for listening to me share. I have like 40 seconds left and I think I'm done. Uh, hi, my name's Chris. I'm not a caller. Hi, Chris. Uh, my sprite date's uh, 9-11-13. Um, my sponsor's Alan P. Um, I sponsor guys. Uh, I have a home group, SYP. And uh, I've worked through the steps multiple times. Um, well, I guess I could just start with what it was like. Um, I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. Um, probably the whitest suburb that anyone could ever even (laughs) conjure. Um, it was a very, uh, uh, very flat, boring place. Um, and it was the home of this huge college, the Ohio State University, which I lived uh, pretty close to. Um, raised by a lawyer and a college professor. Uh, my father was, um, had a 
just absolutely terrible childhood, and um, which led to him developing something that's called borderline personality disorder um, as he reaches adult life. And so, as is true with many of us, uh, my childhood was not awesome. Um, I had a loving, doting, and uh, very codependent mother, and um, I had a father who uh, really struggled to come to grips uh, with reality. His, um, I don't know, I guess I like to, to think of it as he was never a drinker, but, but he was probably the driest drunk that I ever, uh, you know, that I ever met. Um, you know, I spent my entire, uh, my entire childhood and then, and then, you know, some years after that, um, always desperately seeking for the approval of others and for the approval of my father, um, and I just, I just wanted people to tell me that I was doing a good job or that I was handsome or that I was good at, at sport or something like that. Um, because nothing ever seemed enough for him. Um, so yeah, growing up wasn't great. Um, you know, like I said, there was never really, you know, my dad didn't drink, my mom didn't really drink. There was never really any liquor on the house. Um, I, I remember, I don't even know if I got drunk, but the first time I really, experimented with with alcohol i was probably 16 or 17 and um uh my mom had a liquor cabinet but but i didn't really know what was in it and there was some sort of like dark uh rice wine sake something like that and my friends and i thought that it would be a good idea to make this giant cauldron of ramen and then pour, <laughs> pour like, <laughs> I know, I know, right? It's just really nasty. Um, and I just remember that it was just the most disgusting thing I'd ever tasted in my life. Um, through, uh, you know, probably the last year of high school, I, I, you know, drank a little bit, but it was only really to fit in, right? I mean, I wanted to be at the parties with the cool kids. Um, and, uh, I, I did not like the taste of beer. I didn't I didn't really know what hard alcohol was. I couldn't really hold down a shot or anything like that. Um, gosh, went to college, joined a fraternity, you know, drank a lot. Um, and then my life, um, I don't know. It, it uh, you know, it wasn't really anything very exciting or out of the ordinary. Um, you know, I got a job. Straight out of college, um, started working in management consulting, started traveling all over the world. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I always really enjoyed drinking. I loved the relief that it gave me. Um, when I had a couple drinks, I was very confident um, with my coworkers, or I could talk to girls, or I, um, I don't know. It just, it always seemed like... It was this magic potion that I could take um, just to get out of myself and that like constant feeling of self-loathing and fear and everything like that um, that had plagued me since I was a small child. And um, you know what? Alcohol worked for a really, really, really long time. Um, and uh, it wasn't – I don't know. It was kind of interesting. I, I When I moved to New York – um, you know, there are a lot of drugs there and, and I, I, um, uh, uh, was introduced to cocaine and, 
And and the funny thing about that was I never wanted to do drugs. I always just wanted to drink. And when there was something that would let me drink more and drink through the entire night um, and really feel like Superman, I mean, gosh, why wouldn't I want to do it, you know? And um, so fast forward, I was um, I was 30 years old and I was living in Australia, uh, living and working in Australia. And I had moved out there um, with a young uh, with a young woman who was madly in love with um, and who I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. Um, it still wasn't really drinking that much. You know, I had a case of wine in the shed that I didn't even think about, which, you know, a couple of years later would be, um, I, I, I just, yeah, would be completely beyond me. Um, and, uh, what happened there were, were two, two very poignant experiences. One is I got to see what it's like being on the other side of alcoholism. Um, I had no idea um, that this person who I was living with, um, had some struggles with alcohol and it got to the point where I started, you know, finding bottles hidden around the house and, and, um, uh, uh, she would, um, get, get just so, so disastrously drunk and, um, start to hallucinate. I had to take her to the hospital and things like that. And I, saw what it was like um, to to be around someone who just who just could not stop drinking um, and then in uh, may I want to say May of 2010 which is right after my 30th birthday um, she was there one day and then she wasn't and um, she just left she just packed all her stuff and, and, you know, the bedroom was empty and all her stuff was gone. And, um, I, I remember, um, taking the week off from work and hopping a flight to Bali, which is really close to Perth, Australia. Not, it's not super glamorous or anything like that. I wasn't like flying around the world. Um, and flying there to think that, you know, man, if I just, you know, get away, if I just get out of here for a minute and go party, whatever, um, and that, that started this, this, this long or this, um, I'm trying to think of the word, um, this habit that I had of seeing the inside of hotel rooms and many glamorous locations around the world, if that makes any <laughs> sense at all. Um, and, uh, I remember, um, drinking my way through the mini bar not really knowing why. And then just, I guess I got on a flight back and, 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 and canceled. And I remember going out to the shed and, um, getting that case of wine, getting that case of red wine and, and opening a bottle and sitting down and, um, starting to drink. And from that point on, um, it, it, I had crossed some, some sort of invisible line. I don't know that I had never even kind of skirted before, but, but, you know, but that experience that, I don't know, perceived abandonment or anything like that. I mean, I was by no means a perfect boyfriend or anything, but, um, that just pushed me over the edge. And, uh, uh, like I said, I poured that glass of wine and 
um, I didn't stop drinking. And um, it was very strange because I'm living in this like paradise, this um, uh, this uh, place, Perth, Australia, that's just sunny all the time, beautiful, and it's full of palm trees. And I have this um, this big house and this brand new motorcycle in the garage and um, people like me and my career is going great and I'm up for early promotion. Um, and it, this very curious thing happened where I was either um, drinking or drunk or I was thinking about when when I was going to drink next, right? It, it was, it was the weirdest thing. I guess they call that like the obsession on the mind or whatever, um, you know, in the book. And, uh, so it, 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 my life started to get a lot smaller. I mean, I had had this big group of friends. I was racing motorcycles out there. I was, um, just, uh, doing all these things in, in, uh, my life. I was in really good shape and I was working out a lot and, what it started to look like was I'd wake up in the morning and I just kind of grind through the day, try to get home as soon as possible. And I'd think about going to the gym that was right down the street. And then I'd see the bottle of wine on the counter. Um, and I'd go for the wine. You know, I don't, I don't know why wine, wine is such a strange, strange thing to bottom out on. Um, the, <laughs> I don't know. I felt like I was fancy or something. <laughs> Not out of a box, though. Never, never one out of a box. That's, that would mean I was some sort of low class. Um, so that started a, uh, a downward spiral of about uh, two or three years um, where I left Australia. Um, quit my job. Um, well, I, <laughs> so I left Perth, quit my job, moved to Melbourne, thought it was going to be great to, you know, live and work in Australia. And, uh, my 25th, uh, the 25th of March, 2012, which is my 32nd birthday. I remember, um, I was in my house in Melbourne in Richmond, which is this very beautiful kind of inner, um, neighborhood. I'm in this three story townhouse, um, with, and the weather's beautiful. And there's a brand new Lotus Elise parked down in the garage. And the house is furnished with, you know, everything I ever wanted. Right. And I'm up in my bed, so drunk. I can't even, I, I didn't even know what was going on. And I'm crying, and I vividly remember the sounds of the Australian Grand Prix, which is the Formula One race, you know. Um, and I just remember, like, I remember listening to the sound of those cars going around the, you know, going around the track, and it was just so loud and it was so vivid. And I was supposed to be there with my car to, you know, as part of the Lotus Group and everything. I was supposed to be in the paddock and all this stuff. And the, be the best that I could do was to curl up um, in my bed, drunk, and just listen to these cars go around the track. I don't know why that was such an emotional experience for me, but um, it was the point in my life where it was, um, <laughs> I've said this before, it was 
me and all these things and the lotus and the cops. And, and they did not, they did not appreciate, um, my behavior. Um, you know, I got to the point where, um, I simply couldn't stop drinking. I was drinking, uh, 24 hours a day. I had lost this, this, uh, phenomenal job that I had in Melbourne. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I had spent every last cent that I'd ever made, including, um, including all my retirement funds and everything like that to move my life out to Melbourne and, and, and to get all this stuff, right. Which was going to make me so happy and attractive to women, which, which it just, it just didn't, you know, I thought like, why don't you see how sexy his car is. I read my engine and it's really why? Like what? These are Pradas. You know, these sunlight, like it's just, it's so um, I had, I had lost, I had lost the ability to, to tell the truth from the false. I was living in a complete fantasy world and, um, the only thing that I knew to do because I was running out of money um, was to call my mom in Columbus, Ohio, and say I need to come home. And um, I somehow got my stuff into a uh, state um, where the removalists, which are the movers, were able to come and get it and ship it back, and went back to Ohio um, and went straight to a meeting. And I went into that meeting. Um, and when sharing opened up, I said, Hey, my name is Chris. I'm an alcoholic. This is my first day sober. Um, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Um, and I would really appreciate if, um, if somebody could help me. Um, so I got mobbed by about, you know, 20 guys after the meeting, which is phenomenal. And taking out to dinner, one of them came up and asked me if I had a sponsor. I, I didn't know what a sponsor was. Um, and he said, well, you do now. And that was Tim. And, um, what, thank God I didn't know that this was a spiritual program when I came in, because if I would have known that, um, I probably would never have gone to my first meeting. And so I'm so grateful for that bait and switch. Um, (laughs) there's just something really quick out of the book that I wanted to read. So they're, so they're talking about the kind of thinking that I had where it was just, I couldn't tell what was going on. All I could do was drink. And when I wasn't drinking, all I could do was just think about alcohol. And then as soon as I had that first drink, I I didn't know what was going to happen. And so it says when this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, me, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid. Uh Oh, and unless locked up may go, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history, but for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but cannot. There is a solution. I was so happy to hear this when I was reading this with my sponsor. Almost none of this, excuse me, almost none of us liked the self-searching, the leveling of pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others. And we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the program and whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us to do but pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. 
We found much of heaven and had been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence that we had not even dreamed, which I thought was bullshit. Um, so what, I have like one or two minutes left? So, cool. Um, so I haven't been sober for that long, so there's not a lot of, you know, what it's like now. Um, I moved to Seattle with about three months sober, got a sponsor, worked the steps, um, was not thorough on, on uh, my ninth step, which are the amends. Um, kind of did a few and then skated on it and there was a drink in front of me one day and I picked it up. Um, it's about the worst four months of my life before I came into the program, which was back, back in the program, which was on the 11th of September back in 2013. Um, since then, um, I have, uh, uh, worked through the 12 steps of this program, um, as diligently as possible and as thoroughly as possible. And it's only through working those 12 steps with a sponsor and reading through the book and really following what it says up on those, um, you know, up there, uh, that I've, one, been relieved of the accession to drink, which is just phenomenal, right? I mean, to not think about drinking all the time. Um, but at the same time, my life has opened up to the point um, where I can... Um, where I can start living, which has also um, been the scariest thing that I've ever been through. You know, in about two years in sobriety, I realized that I hated my job and my career, and I didn't know what I was doing with my life, and I fell into a deep depression. It has been through sticking to the steps and um, taking positive action and really trying to live these principles in all of my affairs um, uh, that I continue to be able to get through, which has been a very difficult time. But you know what? I've been working on the 11th step, which I just realized the second part of it says something about um, praying only for God's will for us and the, and the power to carry that out. I've been living on self-will for 35 years, um, and this program has allowed me to start to crack the door into just letting the universe flow. And I found that that's really the only time that I'm ever happy and peaceful. So um, I'm really grateful for my sobriety, and um, thank you so much. Hello, everyone. My name is Kenny. I'm an alcoholic. And um, I am very nervous. <laughs> um, okay, so yes, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my sponsor is Katerina. And uh, my home group is currently Saturday Promises, which meets in Madison Park. So for all of you ladies in here, if you ever want an amazing meeting on Saturday morning at 9, it's right on the beach, and it's beautiful, and it's just, it's home. Um. I got sober in June of 2010, so I just celebrated five years, and um, it's just so weird, honestly, and it's a good weird. Um, I never expected to get sober. I never planned on getting sober. I never envisioned a life of recovery or sobriety, or I never thought I would stop living with alcohol as my number one important thing. Um, so I'm up here to share my experience, strength, and hope, and I guess I should just back up a second, and, um, usually I like to center myself by just asking God to speak through me, because, um, ultimately I'm here to be of service, and I don't know what someone needs to hear in order to stay sober, or, you know, get that oomph of, okay, I can keep doing this, or whatever it is, so I just ask that my higher power use me as a vessel to help anyone in here. Um, or if it's just to help myself, that's awesome too. <laughs> um, and 
I'm really nervous because I actually love speaking. It's one of like my passions. I love getting in front of people and sharing my story. And I think that, you know, why it's such an honor to get up on stage and talk about your recovery or sit in a room and talk about your recovery is because at least for me, it's two things. The first one is, you know, I used to have a life that was absolutely purposeless and now I get to have a purpose through this program. But the second thing is like all the pain and suffering that I've gone through that we all go through as humans. You know, we all go through it. Even if you're not alcoholic, we all go through some kind of pain and suffering, usually just up here. And, um, I'm grateful that at the minimum, that pain and suffering can be helpful to someone else um, because I haven't had to drink for five years through a lot of pain and suffering, right? And that's what's incredible about this program. So um, uh, let's see, I'll just start with what it was like. Not very different from most people, probably. I don't have like a super crazy story. And I'm grateful for that because... um, you know, when I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was 20. When I kept my sober date, I was 21. And um, I just didn't have to go through a lot of yets. And when I first got in the program, my sponsor said, listen for the similarities and don't worry about the differences. And so that was really important for me because um, I never had a house to lose. I never got a DUI. All those circumstantial type things Um, I never got raped. I never got beat up. I never hurt someone. I never got into a car crash. Um, None of those things happened. And so it would be really easy for me to walk into a meeting and be like, oh, I haven't gone to jail yet. So I'm not like really an alcoholic or I'm not really bad enough where I need recovery. Right. And my sponsor just cut that line of thinking off right away. And she was like, just focus on the things that you can relate with in meetings. And so I did that. But, um, you know, in my first year of recovery, I really found that it was actually important for me to identify with the differences. Mm -hmm. And so today, when I hear something that's not my story, I think that will be you. You know, if you ever get like a cute little idea that was just a phase or you're not really that bad, just wait, you'll have that experience. And I truly believe that my alcoholism is just going to progress, um, I started drinking at 15. Um, First time I ever did it, I was like, this sucks. I got way too drunk. Um, I was crying. I was emotional. Had a bad hangover and said, I'm never going to do it again. Obviously, I did because I'm here. Um, (laughs) But it took me like, you know, six months to a year to actually start doing it more frequently. And it was very, very minimal at first, you know, once a month, then couple times a month then every weekend and it just progressed like that um and I think you know the big thing for me is that I have a lot of passions in life I feel like I've been called to do great things in this world and like any kind of action towards going that route was just replaced with alcohol like how can I get drunk how can I party how can I you know just live that life and there really wasn't anything I could do about it and um Yeah, so that's pretty much what it was like. And um, I'm going to read a little bit out of Bill's story because for anyone who's new, this is the big book and it's amazing. And the first 164 is where we find the solution to alcoholism. And that has been true for me and my experience. 
And when I first read Bill's story, I wasn't really into it. I thought it was kind of boring, kind of dry. Um, probably because I was very new and I was still trying to figure out that whole similarities thing. Um, but today it's like absolutely amazing. And just there's so many things in his story that I can identify with in terms of, um, you know, like he first, when he first, first started drinking, he talks about here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last. And in the midst of, of the excitement, I discovered liquor. And like, that was true for me. It was just this beautiful fantasy of like, I'm a diva. I'm so wonderful. Like everything was just awesome. Right. But that's not really how it was. It was just a facade. And, you know, after living like that for five years, when I first got sober, I couldn't tell the difference between truth and false. You know, I don't know if you guys could relate with this, but like, I remember being maybe like a month sober and coming into a meeting and being like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, I really relate. And literally walking out the door and being like, I'm not an alcoholic. Like the same mind, the same mind. So it was like super overwhelming to have thoughts coming from the same place that were not the same thoughts at all. And, um, you know, my first like six or six months of sobriety, I know I'm jumping around a lot, but that's how my brain works. I'm a squirrely, squirrely brain. <laughs> um, but basically, you know, that first three to six months of sobriety were just horrendous for me. Um, I hated myself. I had the worst depression I ever had in my whole life. Um, I just cried all the time. Probably the first couple months I just cried in meetings, like bald, like the nasty one where like the snot comes out, like bad. And I would just have people coming up to me. Oh, you're so lucky. You're so young. Just stay, get this thing. You don't have to experience like everything that we've experienced. Just please stay. And, um, I don't know how other people feel about that, but that was like, really amazing for me to hear like over and over again, like people just being like, you should just stay if you feel like you're an alcoholic. And, um, but yeah, like those first few months, I just could not handle life. I did not know how to cope with life at all. And, you know, that's with the first step I knew I was an alcoholic, but the unmanageability portion for me was best displayed through my emotions. I couldn't manage life through my emotions. Like I'm doing normal life, something, you know, minor happens that's annoying and I freak out, right? Like something super minor. Um, and I can always tell like if I'm spiritually fit or not based on my reaction to those like little things. A good example of that is I moved into an apartment recently and there's cat urine smells throughout the entire apartment. And obviously that's not pleasant to live in, but every time I walk through my door, I get to make a conscious decision if that's going to like mess with my peace. And it's kind of cool. It's kind of like a little spiritual experience every time. Cause I'm like, all right, I'm powerless over this. I'm doing everything I can to get rid of it. I'm working with the landlord. I'm, you know, burning incense. I'm, you know, <laughs> thanking God and there's nothing else I can do about it. And I have an amazing apartment. So I get to just focus on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a funny story. 
<laughs> It'll be funnier when the cat pee is gone. <laughs> Let's see. I wanted to talk a little bit about third step because that's been really, really important for me. And I think, you know, this program, all the suggestions in this program are to lead me to a relationship with a higher power that can help me stay sober. So the best way for me to think about this is if I, um, well, first of all, alcohol was a power greater than myself, and so I need to replace it with a power that's greater than me and greater than alcohol. And so for lack of better words, I choose to use the term God, but I don't really have like a definition of that, and that works for me. It's just not me, and it's bigger than me, and can take care of everything. And um, I got that through this program. I wasn't looking for that when I came to this program. I was just, I don't even know why I came, honestly. I don't know why I came. Um, well, I did get 12-stepped in, but it was just, yeah. I don't know how I got to stay here in Alcoholics Anonymous, but I did, and I'm truly grateful. Um, so... My sponsor was just amazing. She took me through a second step. She had me make a list of my higher power, what I wanted my higher, to, higher power to be. And she said it could be anything. And so, you know, obviously there was like some pretty normal things on there, like loving and, you know, forgiving and caring and has a sense of humor. But there was some other stuff that like, like I can pray on the toilet. And that was important to me because the God that I grew up with you had to like, you had to like take a bath before you prayed. Like you had to be clean. And I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I feel like my God is not, I mean, if that's, if it, God is everything, then why does it matter if I'm on the toilet or on my period or any of those things, you know? And it might be a funny, funny thing, but coming from a background where God was like this, 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 and this, and you had to, you know, the only way you could connect with God was this, 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 and this. Like, that was inadequate for me. And so through this program, I got walked through a way to find a God that could actually work for me, that I could actually feel comfortable communicating with on a regular basis. And in Bill's story, he talks about what it was like when he was first having that conversation and first starting to realize that he could have a God of his own. And um, his friend suggested, why don't you choose your own conception of God? And he says, that statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountain in, which, in whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required to, take my, to make my beginning. I saw that growth could start from that point. Upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw in my, in my friend. And that's the experience that I got from working with my sponsor, who just was amazing. You know, she just let me explore that on my own, but still guided me through that process, giving me like, okay, we need to do this, but you can do it how you'd like. And um, I think my first experience with the third step, I know that's more second step, but third step was um, my parents were going through a divorce when I first was getting sober and I was living at home with them. And I was kind of in between their arguments and um, just figuring it out, you know, and pretty painful situation to go through, especially newly sober when you're cuckoo. 
uh, like I was. Um, and I just got on my knees every day and turned that over. And because I was able to do a third step on that, today I have more peace and serenity around it. I have a great relationship with my parents. And it's still not the best. I mean, nobody wants that, but I can heal through it. And if I was drinking, there's no way. I would have still, I mean, I just would have had such a bitter heart towards that situation. And I would have carried that like a big piece of luggage through every single relationship. I started to try to do that, but... You know, through working this program, I was able to just, you know, forgive that situation and understand that just because they went through it, I don't have to go through that. I can actually create something different in my life. And so um, that took a very interesting turn. I didn't plan what I was going to speak about, so it was very interesting. But um, I'll just wrap up saying that I'm super grateful to be sober. Um, It's a total miracle to me because I never planned it. And if you're new or if you're not new, get a sponsor, work the steps, go out to fellowship when you get invited out to coffee. Even if you don't want to go, even if it feels super awkward, just go for it because we all um, we all have to start somewhere. And this program is just amazing. So thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.